Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Minnesota Twins 3, the Cleveland Indians 2. The Minnesota Twins take the first game of the series against the Cleveland Indians. I'm Davey Paris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And there were plenty of hits last night. There just weren't plenty of runs. And we'll talk a little bit about this. I got some new stats for us to go over today about this Indians offense. We'll also answer a fan question from Joe on social media. So stick around because we have a lot of good stuff to cover, even though I'm very frustrated by the Indians' loss last night. I mean, I try to keep this show positive. I try to stick to what's going on in the field. But I'm not going to lie to you. I am starting to get really frustrated with this offense. And the trade deadline is coming up. And, you know, I might have some ideas on uh, what the Indians can do to keep this season going. Because right now we're in the playoffs, right? We're we're one of the best teams. At last, yesterday, um, I, I don't love power rankings because they're kind of meaningless. But Bleacher Report had us in the top 10 in their power rankings. So, you know... This is a good baseball team. It just needs some help on offense. All right. How did it all go down yesterday? Taking the loss for the Indians was Aaron Savale, although he pitched pretty good. I mean, it's technically a quality start. Six innings, seven hits, three earned runs, a walk, eight strikeouts, but two home runs allowed. For the Minnesota Twins, it was Kenta Maeda on the mound. He moves to 4-0 and on the season. Five innings, five hits, one earned run, one walk, and seven strikeouts for him. He was getting it done with a changeup. Savali was getting it done with the two-seam fastball in tight to lefties. And we will talk about some of those strikeouts. All right, how about the scoring? How did it all go down? What happened in the game? What are some of the highlights? By the way, I think uh, yesterday I completely forgot to do MVP for a day. I was very frustrated with uh, with the Indians, and there really wasn't much as far as MVP goes. I think I would give it to Jose Ramirez. He had two hits, and he had a stolen base. He was being productive on the bases, so I guess Jose Ramirez is my MVP for a day yesterday. And I want to give a shout-out to defense. Sometimes defense is a little bit hard to uh, – we don't talk about it a lot on this show. You know, there's not great stat metrics for it and stuff like that, but – uh, Greg Allen did have a great diving catch out in center field. So props to Greg Allen for the good defense yesterday. All right, back to the game today. How did it all go down? Well, things started interesting in the first inning for both teams. Max Kepler singles on a line drive on the first pitch of the game. That's got to feel good for Aaron Savali, right? Uh, he does get Jorge Polanco to fly out. He gets Nelson Cruz swinging. And then Eddie Rosario reaches on a fielding error by Mike Freeman, who is starting in left field. Cleveland was trying to get as many lefties into the lineup as they possibly could, although I'm not sure why. If you saw my tweet yesterday, lefties are slashing, and slashing is batting average, on-base percentage, and then slugging percentage. They call it your slash line. Lefties are hitting 138 211 on base percentage and slugging only 185 against Kenta Maeda. So, yeah. So, I understand why you stacked the lineup with lefties, but statistically, it wasn't going to help you. 
Uh, so Mike Freeman's in there in left field. It was a situation where Jose Ramirez was coming out from third base. Freeman was charging in. It looked like Jose Ramirez called for it, and then Freeman called him off. That's just a situation of two guys that have not played together a lot in that positioning. I think, yeah, it's just miscommunication from lack of experience. So Freeman drops it. Kepler gets the third. Rosario then steals second base. So they do have runners on second and third. But he gets Miguel Sano to strike out swinging. So two big strikeouts for Savale already in the first inning. And he prevents damage, right? All right. Pretty good. Now, for the Indians, top of the bottom of the first, Cesar Hernandez leading off. What did he do yesterday? He homeward to right center field to lead off the game. What does he do today? He gets a changeup. He stays back on it. It's middle down. And he sends it out to right field again. He, uh, there was like one guy sitting in the bleachers who knows it was maybe a grounds crew guy or something like that. And it landed like three seats from him. He's got to be sitting out there thinking, how in the hell am I the only person sitting in the entire outfield and a ball's going to land like 10 feet from me. So Cesar Hernandez actually sets an Indians franchise record. No one has ever let off two games, back-to-back games with home runs before. People on Twitter were like, what, Kenny Lofton? No, Grady Sizemore never did it? Nope, they never did it back-to-back. So Cesar Hernandez setting records for the Indians. Clearly his swing is locked in. That's all the Indians will do in the first inning. Top of the third inning, Aaron Savali's two-seam fastball is working. He gets Alex Avila looking on a two-seam fastball on the inside edge, that pitch actually comes back over the plate. It looks in on those lefties. They feel like he's throwing it at their hands, and then it breaks back. The spin is incredible on this pitch. It breaks back into the zone for a strike. Alex Avila goes down looking. Max Kepler goes down looking, also on the two-seam fastball. So if you're a lefty, you got to see that pitch coming with two strikes. Jorge Polanco grounds out, so Aaron Savali is cooking through the third. We get a double from uh, Cesar Hernandez, so he is red hot. He doubles in the third inning with one out. However, Jose Ramirez strikes out. Francisco Lindor walks, so a bit of a threat here. But Carlos Santana strikes out swinging. He tried to hold back on a changeup. It was a changeup that faded down and away. They were calling a bit of a split change um on the radio yesterday and uh it got carlos santana he just couldn't hold back enough on it top of the fourth it's the twins turn nelson cruz this time he throws a two-seam fastball to a righty and he throws it away to nelson cruz but he left it a little too high maybe if that pitch is down and away he might be able to get it by him but he throws it up at the belt and Nelson Cruz is the one of the best power hitters in baseball right now. His stats are insane, and he sends this ball out to right field for a home run. So, tied it up, 1-1. They do cause a little bit more trouble in that inning, but he's able to get out of it all. So, we go into the fo- bottom of the fourth, tied 1-1. Indians threaten a little bit again with two outs. After Maeda gets two strikeouts, Freeman singles. Roberto Perez reaches on a fielding error by Polanco. So we got a little bit of a threat going, but Greg Allen grounds out to end that threat. That would be a common theme on the night. The Indians had 12 hits, but only scored two runs. 
big, big defensive play. I'm not going to miss this one in the top of the fifth inning. Luis Areas. Areas? Someone help me out with the pronunciation of that one. Luis Areas singles on a line drive to left field. He gets Avila to strike out. He gets Max Kepler to fly out. And then he gets Jorge Polanco up to the plate, lines a shot into the right field corner. Tyler Naquin can't cut it off. It goes all the way to the wall. He does get it off the wall. Arez is flying around the bases. He fires it into the relay man, Carlos Santana, who fires it home to Roberto Perez, and they're able to tag Arez out as he tried one of the swim-move slides around the home plate, tried to avoid the tag, but Perez gets it on him. The Twins would actually challenge this play, and the call was upheld. It was an incredible throw, an incredible relay from Naquin to Santana to Perez at the plate, and that's what happens when you have a gold glove backstop there behind the plate. Perez can can take that throw from Santana and get that tag down and pr- protect this uh, this tie game. Protect it for Aaron Savale, who's pitching great up until this point. So, huge defensive play. And I really love Tyler Naquin out there in right field. I love a right fielder with an arm. We've had it before with Sinshu Chu. Lonnie Chisenhall did not have a bad arm. Don't disrespect Lonnie Chisenhall's defense. Uh, Yasiel Puig last year had a pretty good arm out there, and Tyler Naquin has a cannon of an arm. But unfortunately, this tie would only last to the top of the sixth inning. Cruz, he gets Cruz to fly out to start the inning, but then Eddie Rosario doubles, and then Miguel Sano comes up. And we talked about it yesterday. Miguel Sano strikes out a lot. He's not batting very high, but... His extra base numbers are pretty darn good. He doubles. He homers. What does he do in this situation? It actually looks like he threw Miguel Sano a cutter up in a way. And Miguel Sano takes it out to right field for a home run. The dude is a power hitter. And he actually struck out twice on the day. So continues to pile up the strikeouts. But a big two-run home run. That would be the difference. That would be it. The the Twins are up 3-1 to at this point. And the Indians would threaten. They'd scratch across another run. But that two-run homer, that was it. Two home runs on the day. That's all the Indians pitching gave up. And it was enough for the Twins to win. He finishes the inning. But that would be it for Aaron Savali. So it's a quality start. It's not a bad start from Savali. It's Twins are a good team. They're one of the best teams in baseball. And uh, it was a decent, it was a pretty good pitching performance from Aaron Savali. The offense just did not back him up at all. We get another threat in the bottom of the sixth. But Twins pitching is able to strike out the side. Carlos Santana leads off with a single. He gets Fermil Reyes to strike out. He gets Tyler Naquin to strike out. Jordan Luplo pinch hits, and he singles, moves Carlos Santana to second. They have a mound visit, and then they strike out Roberto Perez to end the inning. Again, two more hits on the board, three more strikeouts. The Indians would strike out a total of 14 times on the day. Bottom of the seventh inning, Greg Allen singles on a line drive to right field. Cesar Hernandez lines out. Jose Ramirez strikes out. You feel like they're going to strand Greg Allen this time. Francisco Lindor singles, actually moves Greg Allen up to second. You're thinking, okay, please, come on. We got another runner in scoring position, two outs here. Carlos Santana up, 
Carlos Santana actually comes through. He hits a line drive to center field. I, that wasn't a line drive. How are they calling this a line drive? He bloops one into center field. He stayed back, and he's able to bloop one into center field off of Trevor May. It drops in. Greg Allen is incredibly fast, comes around and scores. We get runners at the corner then. It's a 3-2 game. We are scratching our way back into this game. Fermil Reyes strikes out swinging. He was frustrated. Fermil Reyes was really frustrated. It was not a great day for him. He was 0-4 with three strikeouts. Oof, he is struggling to uh, to pick up breaking balls down and away, and he's struggling with high fastballs out of the zone. He keeps thinking he can reach them. He cannot. These things are up at his neck, and he's swinging at them. In hitters counts. So Fermil Reyes goes down again. Karinchek comes in. I love watching Karinchek pitch. Top of the eighth inning, gets Nelson Cruz to strike out, swinging on a beautiful curveball. Gets Eddie Rosario to fly out to right. If I remember, that was a pretty deep fly out from Eddie Rosario. And then he gets Miguel Sano to strike out swinging. Sergio Romo comes into the bottom of the eighth, and things get interesting. Tyler Naquin doubles to lead off the inning. All right, so here's where we're getting into some of the advanced stats here. Because there is something on fan graphs called win probability. It's a win probability chart. The way it works is there's a center line. Anything above the center line, the game is in the Indians' favor. Anything below the center line, the game is in the Twins' favor. We start that game with that home run, and the line's in our favor for most of the game. It's uh, Anything over 50% is us. Anything under 50% is for the Twins. So we're around 60 68% for the first three or four innings. Then... They tie it up. Nelson Cruz homers. And it's bouncing. It's dancing back and forth along that 50% line. Then Miguel Sano homers. Now it's a 26% win probability for the Indians. It's all in the Twins' favor. We scratch that run back from Carlos Santana. Still in the Twins' favor, but it's, it's getting closer to the center line here. Then Tyler Naquin doubles. It brings it back to a 50% Win probability means at this point, with a runner on second base, nobody out, both teams have an equal chance of winning this game. The Indians have gotten themselves back in this game because a runner on second, nobody out to lead off an inning. You have to assume that run is coming in to score. There's so many ways for that run to come in to score. The win probability expects that run to come in to score and tie the game. This would be the last time that that line would be anywhere near the 50% mark. Jordan Luplo's up against a righty pitcher. They don't pitch hit with him. They don't bring in Zimmer to pinch hit. They let Luplo stay in, and they let him swing away. He doesn't even fake leading down a bunt. And he grounds out to shortstop Jorge Polanco, which doesn't bring the runner over to third. It holds the runner at second base. You could bunt. You could sack fly. It could be a wild pitch. It could be a grounder to the right side. There are so many ways for that runner to move over to third and be in a great situation to score. Because you know what happens next? Roberto Perez lines out to deep left field. Roberto Perez got a pitch to hit, put a good swing on it, and put it deep into left field. But Eddie Rosario tracks it down, and Tyler Naquin can't go anywhere. He can't tag up and go to third. He could have tagged up from third and came home. That was the game there. The win probability plummets after that 
Greg Allen strikes out to swing to end the threat, and the win probability line is all in the Twins' favor at this point to end the game. In the ninth inning, facing Taylor Rogers, the closer for the Twins, he strikes out Cesar Hernandez on a check swing, gets Jose Ramirez to pop out to second base. Francisco Lindor does single. Francisco Lindor had a decent game, two for four with a walk. And then Carlos Santana flies out to right field, put a good swing on it. Maybe if he had hit it in the gap, it could have gotten down or down the line, but it was a pretty lazy fly ball for Max Kepler. And that ends the game. So this win probability line, go back and take a look at it on fan graphs. Maybe I can even tweet this out. It's pretty interesting to look at, to see how things change throughout the course of a game. You can change the outcome of a game. You can change the course of the game. The Blue Jays-Rays game is a perfect example of that because the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, were leading 3-2, to two, just like uh, Minnesota was leading us 3-2. to two, two. And then Randall Grichik, homered for the Blue Jays, brings in three runs and turns it into a three to five game. And that line plummets down into the Blue Jays favor. So it's cool to watch a game that did change on one swing and see what happens to this win probability line. All right. So speaking of win, well, before we get into the advanced stats for the Indians, let's take a look at the box score and Cesar Hernandez had himself a good game, two extra base hits, that leadoff home run, if you set a franchise record by leading off with homers in back-to-back games, I think you got to get MVP for a day, especially because no one came up with a game-winning hit late in the game. I'm giving MVP for a day to Cesar Hernandez. One day, we are going to talk about Cesar Hernandez's future and what the probability is that he stays with this Cleveland Indians team because he's only on a one-year contract. He's got his average up to 281 with a 794 OPS. Santana had three hits. Lindor had two hits. Uh, Naquin had two hits, including the big double. I mean, there were 12 hits. These guys were hitting. They just weren't hitting when it counted. They just weren't coming through in the clutch. So they waste 12 hits. They only scratch across those two runs. After Savali, six innings. Oliver Perez comes in with a clean inning. Karen Check goes an inning with two strikeouts, and Wickren pitches a clean ninth. So the bullpen once again does their job. Ali Perez's ERA is at 0.84. Karen Check's is at 0.57. But like we said yesterday, the Twins bullpen also did their job. Uh, Phil Barr, who we didn't talk about yesterday, gives up the two hits, but the three strikeouts strikes out the side. Taylor May is actually the one that gets in a little bit of trouble. He gave up three hits and a run. Sergio Romo, there was something going on with the Indians' dugout. Somebody said something to him after Tyler Naquin's double, and it set Sergio Romo off. He was locked in after that. He was not giving up that run. Something really pissed him off that the Indians said, and he was jawing with them even as he was walking off the field and once he got back to the dugout, and Taylor Rogers gets his seventh save. So... The Twins bullpen, we said they have a tough bullpen. We said we didn't want to face the Taylors and the Tylers and all the T names in that bullpen. And uh, yeah, for good reason, because their bullpen is pretty darn good. All right, so that's how it all went down yesterday. So there's an interesting stat on Bleacher Report called win probability added. And it's what we're going to look at for this Indians offense here to see who's contributing and who's not. 
there's a win probability added plus. It's the sum of all the positive events a batter did to contribute to its team's winning. There's also a win probability subtracted, all the negative events a batter did that hurt its team, that you know, held its team back from winning. And then you have the win probability added total WPA if you look on Bleacher Report, and that's the sum of the WAP plus and the WPA minus. So how are the Indians doing? Well, I'll tell you, they only have four players in positive numbers. For Neil Reyes is leading the team. I don't think this updated from last night. Bleacher Report's usually a little slow. Our baseball reference is a little slow at updating. He's at 0.5 win probability added. So he's actually doing decent. He has enough plays that has added to the team's possible chance of winning. Carlos Santana is at 0.4. Cesar Hernandez is 0.3, and Tyler Naquin in you know much fewer at-bats, 0.2. So they are adding to their team's chance of winning. Everybody else, negative numbers. Jose Ramirez is at negative 0.1. Jordan Luplo is negative 0.4. Oscar Mercado was at negative 0.4. Roberto Perez is at negative 0.4. Domingo Santana is negative 0.5. Sandy Leon was at negative 0.6. And Francisco Lindor is actually worst on the team at negative 0.9. He leads the team in the sum of negative events. He's at negative 2.7. Nobody has done more to stop this team from winning, stop this team from scoring, according to this statistic, than Francisco Lindor. So how about the Twins? How are the Twins doing? They've got almost half their team in positive numbers, or at least at zero or positive numbers. Nelson Cruz is leading the way at 0.8. Max Kepler is at 0.8. Jorge Polanco at 0.3. So how does this compare to the rest of the league? Mike Yastrzemski from the San Francisco Giants is actually leading the league, win probability added at 2.6. That's the best in baseball right now by a wide wide margin. Brandon Lowe from the Rays comes in at 1.7 in second. So almost a full point separating them. That's that's huge. Yastrzemski, I haven't been watching San Francisco games, but apparently Yastrzemski is worth watching. Anthony Santander from Baltimore is at 1.6. Dansby Swanson in Atlanta is at 1.4. Kyle Lewis from Seattle is 1.3. Mitch Moreland in Boston is 1.3. Pedro Severino from Baltimore is 1.3. Bryce Harper at 1.2. Fernando Tatis Jr., you've heard about him. He's at 1.1. Mookie Betts, you heard about him. He's at 1.0. And Yandy Diaz, the last name I'll mention, he's 15th in the league. He's at 0.9 for the Tampa Bay Rays. Remember Yandy Diaz? So that is what the leaders in baseball look like. So the Indians are not even scratching that list. All right, so that's the big stat for the day. Two other things we got to talk about before we get out of here. There was a story yesterday that a bunch of reporters tweeted out for the Indians, and then the Indians actually brought up on their broadcast. It's the 101 anniversary, 101st anniversary of Ray Caldwell getting struck by lightning while pitching for the Indians. In the ninth inning, facing the last batter of a complete game on August 24th, 1919, everybody loved this. It said, finish the game after being revived. 
Can you imagine getting struck by lightning and staying in the game to finish? He would eventually pitch a no-hitter against New York 17 days later, and then he won 20 games for the 1920 World Champion Indians. So let's hear it for Ray Caldwell, who came back from getting struck by lightning and finished the game. And I was texting with my brother yesterday, do we have a new possibility for a new Cleveland nickname for their baseball team? Because let's face it, the name is changing. I am fully on board with the name changing. Go ahead, tweet at me all your angry tweets that the name should stay Indians. It is not a good name anymore for a sports nickname. Let's just say it's time for a change. So could the Cleveland Lightning be a possibility in honor of Ray Caldwell? Come on. That'd be pretty cool, right? How about my brother goes, how about the lightning rods? I was like, well, then everyone would call the front office Nimrods. I don't think that would work too well. So the Cleveland Lightning added to the list of possibilities with the Spiders and the Guardians, and I'm sure the Rockers and whatever else you come up with. So that's the fun story from Indians history. Now, like I said at the top of the show, I did get a question on social media yesterday. Thank you to Joe, who I believe is writing from Arizona. He said, hey, Davey, what are your thoughts on the return of Plesak and Clevenger? I know this is a question that a lot of you have been thinking about. When do you think it will happen? And will this debacle be a blip in the season or something significant to overcome in getting them going again? I feel like they underestimated how seriously their teammates took the rules, but I don't know that it should destroy the season. So thank you, Joe. Great question from Joe and really well thought out. So there's a lot of factors to take into consideration here, right? Guys like Oliver Perez and Carlos Carrasco. I mean, Oliver Perez was adamant that if those guys stuck around, he was done. He was going to walk away from this season. So when your players are that angry at you, uh, you know, can management just make the call and say, hey, look, these guys are coming back. Deal with it. Uh, Sandy Alomar yesterday in his press conference made it seem like maybe one of those two guys could start on Wednesday because right now Plucko is penciled in, but I do not think they want to start Plucko. I think they're terrified of starting Plucko again, especially against the Minnesota Twins. So there's a chance that those guys could be back as early, or one of them at least, could be back as early as Wednesday. But it would take the front office, you know, sitting down with the team. It would take guys like Francisco Lindor and Plucko to uh, accept them back. And we haven't heard anything from any players about it since that team meeting that they had. So in Detroit, I think it was. So nobody, none of the players are really speaking about this. So we don't know how their feelings have changed. I'll tell you that looking at social media, the only thing Clevenger has tweeted out was just something to support Tristan McKenzie in his start. Uh, just a congratulations to him or go get him a tweet to Tristan McKenzie. So that's it. Otherwise, they've been quiet. So it's really hard to see how the team's feeling when nobody's talking about it. So Sandy LMR mentioned it yesterday. We'll see what happens on Wednesday. But right now, those guys are still in purgatory, right? They're still being They're still in timeout for their mistake. Uh, and then there's been a lot of trade talk. So there's a now Plesak is really young. He's not even arbitration eligible yet. You know that the Dolans are gonna love that. They're probably not gonna trade Plesak. He's he's got way, way too bright of a future as a starting pitcher. Clevenger is in his arbitration years. He's getting up there. He's a disciple of Trevor Bauer, which the owners just seem to have a real problem with Trevor Bauer, even though I think he's fantastic. 
So Clevenger could see himself on the trading block, and there are some teams out there that are looking for starting pitching. The Boston Red Sox said that pretty much anyone's available on their team. Could someone like Jackie Bradley Jr. help out this offense in the outfield? Uh, The New York Mets, one of their writers, wrote an article talking about how they might go after Clevenger. Could someone like Brandon Nimmo, their center fielder, be a possibility coming back? I don't see us trading Clevenger for a prospect at this point. I think the Indians think with this pitching, they have a chance to win, and they need to add to this offense. They need to help this outfield. So that's right now, you know, the probability of anything happening, I would guess a prognosticate, which, hey, I'm no expert, but I would guess that Plesak would come back and pitch, and that Clevenger might get traded for some offense here. So we'll see, do they tap into some of their uh, prospects? Does someone like Logan Allen or Scott Moss get traded for some outfield help? It will be interesting to see, because right now, do you have any confidence in any of these outfielders? Maybe besides Tyler Naquin? I, I don't. I don't really. I don't see any of these outfielders coming through offensively for this team. We need to shake up this lineup. We need an outfielder like when the Indians went out and got Jay Bruce, someone that can plug in into the middle of the lineup, someone who might be able to hit three, four, or five and shake this whole thing up. Because if you looked at Francisco Lindor's body language yesterday, he's not happy with how he's performing. And I think they could all just use a shakeup, right? It would change their mindset and it might unlock something in this offense. Because we know Santana's a good player. We know Lindor and Ramirez and Famille Reyes. They all can get hot. We just need to shake this thing up. So we'll see if they go out and get some outfield help. So thank you, Joe. Thanks for the great fan question. If you have questions out there, if you have opinions, Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com or you can call into the Anchor app. So that'll end this episode. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Minnesota Twins 3, the Cleveland Indians 2. We'll be back tomorrow to cover a start from Shane Bieber, and you know we come, love coming back and talking Shane Bieber pitching matchups. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts like Joe did, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show, and we'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.